the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. He is the one who cleanses and forgives, gives us a new beginning. He makes all things new. We are new creations in Christ. But what he is saying here is that there is accountability. There is accountability. So we have to ask forgiveness for those things that we have wrongfully said. We have to ask him to forgive us of those things that we have said that are inappropriate and wrong and cruel and critical. And we have to make amends with people as far as it depends on us. The Bible says in Romans, live at peace with all men as far as it depends on you. Today, Pastor Gary will remind you that sin has been a part of the story of humanity. Sin has separated us from God. So do we remedy this situation? Well, in the Old Testament, people came to offer animal sacrifices in the temple to atone for the sins that they had committed. But that wasn't the end of the story. Jesus came down to earth and died on the cross for the sins of the world, eliminating the need for animal sacrifice once and for all. God wipes us clean and makes us new so we could be with Him. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew, chapter 12, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. And so, he answered, Jesus says, verse 3, Haven't you read what David did? When he and his companions were hungry, he entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. Now, Jesus is reminding them from their own Jewish history, look, David went in to the house of the Lord, and, and he was famished, he was starving, and he took of the consecrated bread that only the priest typically could eat, but it was a matter of necessity. And they took the bread and they ate of it. And Jesus is saying, look, you know, don't, don't get so legalistic here. There was, there was a greater need that trumped the legalism. And then, he, and then he adds, and by the way, the priests, they work on the Sabbath day because they have to do their priestly duty. They, quote, desecrate the day, although they're not breaking the Sabbath law because they're doing their priestly duties. They're working. They're doing their priestly duties. And Jesus then adds, here's verse 6, I tell you that that one greater than the temple is here. Now here's the second comparative statement that Jesus makes. We're going to see four between chapters 11 and 12. The first one was already about how he's greater than John the Baptist because he's more than a great prophet. Here's the second one. He says that he's greater than the temple. One greater than the temple is here. In other words, he is more than a system of works and sacrifices. That Jesus came to bring grace 
that his message is a message of love, not of legalism. The Pharisees were still bound in a legalistic mindset. It's about rules and regulations. And they thought that by obeying the rules, it would make them more righteous before God. Jesus comes along, he says, well, one greater than the temple is here because I'm more than just a system of works and sacrifices. It's about a relationship with me. You can't become righteous by obeying rules. You become righteous by faith in me, is what Jesus is ultimately saying. That's why he's greater than the temple, because the temple represented the works and the sacrificial system. Jesus says, I'm greater than the temple. He says, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly because Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice who dies on the cross for our sins. By faith, we are redeemed through him. And so he's rebuking them about their legalism and their narrow-mindedness about the law. He adds in verse 7, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus says, you know, I'm in charge of the Sabbath. I gave the Sabbath. So don't tell me that I'm violating the Sabbath. I am Lord of the Sabbath. It's not about rules and regulations, ceremonial observances. It is about a moral obligation. And the need in this case was people were hungry. Now, they're going to find another incident here that they're going to accuse him of because he's also going to heal on the Sabbath. Look at verse 9. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there, looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? You know, you, you're about to do more work. Are you going to heal this guy? And he said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Okay, again, similar thing happening. It's the Sabbath. Your disciples can't be plucking wheat on the Sabbath. That's harvesting. And he goes into the synagogue, and they want to know. It's, it's even a setup. They say, you know, you're probably thinking about healing this guy, aren't you? He's got this paralyzed hand here, and you probably want to heal him, don't you? But you know it's a Sabbath. You really can't be doing that. It's a Sabbath. And then Jesus says to them, well, you know, look, if you have a sheep and it falls into a pit, you're going to pull it out, aren't you? You're going to, you're going to pull the sheep out of the pit, aren't you? Now, I remember, you know, growing up, especially my, my dad's side of the family, my, his parents, um, very particular about how the Sabbath day was spent. And uh, when we'd go over to their house on, even though Sabbath is still technically Saturday, uh, but, but in Christian terms, we recognize Sunday as a Sabbath, as a Sabbath day of rest. And so whenever we go over to the house on, on Sundays, it was, you know, sit on your hands and, uh, and don't do too much because it's, it's the Sabbath day. But I remember that there was always a line uh, among us, and it was quoting this. You know, whenever you wanted to justify something that you were doing, you're like, well, you know, the sheep fell in the pit. you got to pull it out. And it was always kind of this, this backdoor way of justifying anything we wanted to do. You know, the sheep is in the pit. we got to pull it out. Sheep's in the pit. Got to pull it out. Now, by the way, notice that Jesus says here, verse 12, how much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Please take note of that because, once again, when we think about the culture in which we live, you're not going to hear that. You're going to hear that the sheep are just as important as you are. Don't beat the sheep, because the sheep are special creatures. 
They're just as important and valuable as you are. In fact, Jesus, he also says back in chapter 10, look back in chapter 10. Oh my goodness, he says something else too that we ought to take note of. In verse 31 of chapter 10, he says, So don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. Oh, chapter 10, 31, you're worth more than sparrows. Chapter 12, verse 12, how much more valuable is a man than sheep? What is God saying? God is saying that people are more valuable than animals. Now think about this, because here's the world in which we live. My family and I were down in Pompano Beach, Florida last summer, and uh, we'd never been to Pompano Beach. So we were down there, and as we're going out onto the beach... I noticed all these, what I thought were like crime scenes. Now, those of you from Florida, you know what I'm talking about. I thought on the beach, there were like all these crime scenes. There were, there were uh, wooden stakes with like yellow crime tape that, that, were, that, that marked off certain areas on the beach. And a lot of them. And, you, and there were certain places you, you can't cry. And I'm like, what in the world? How many people are dying on the beaches of Pompano Beach? <laughs> That they'd have all these crime scenes that are taped off here, and I didn't understand. And finally, I started asking around, you know, what's with all the yellow tape and the wooden stakes here? Oh, those are the sacred marine sea turtles. Yeah. Oh, this is their natural habitat here. These are sacred creatures. And we can't violate the sacred sanctuary of the turtles. I don't know why suddenly I went Scottish for you, but then... <laughs> But it, it, was the mo- it was the strangest thing. And I kept looking. I kept looking in the little pits going, I don't even see any turtles. Where are they? Oh, they could have. The eggs could be buried in there. Some people have come along. They have identified them as a sacred little sanctuary. You can't, you can't disturb the sacred little creatures. I actually went and looked up. There is a statute, a Florida law. It's section, uh, it's called the Florida Marine Turtle Protection Act. Okay, and it says that it's against the law to take, it restricts the take, possession, disturbance, mutilation, destruction, selling, transference, molestation, and harassment of marine turtles, nests, or eggs. Protection is also afforded to marine turtle habitat. You can get arrested. Now, we laugh about this because I, I think it's rather silly, to be honest with you. And I had, a, I had fun just reaching down in the sand, picking up eggs, and chucking them. No, I, did, I didn't do that. No, I didn't do that. I wanted to do that. Come on, kids, let's play some baseball. Here you go. But the tragedy of this, the tragedy of this, and you know where I'm going with this, there's no yellow tape around women to protect the unborn. But we're going to make sure we mark off yellow tape on our beaches to protect turtles. Now, how bizarre and twisted is that thinking? Now, I'm not saying, you know, we shouldn't take care of God's creatures. I'm not saying that we shouldn't, you know, protect those animals that might be on the endangered list in some way, shape, or form. But what I'm saying is, when we live in a culture where a sea turtle is more protected than a baby in a womb, we are upside down. We're twisted. And Jesus says here, look, you're more valuable than a sheep, in case you didn't know. And you're more valuable than many sparrows. He says, therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he heals this guy. This guy, Jesus just simply says, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. 
that they wanted to be technically right based on the law. You're doing work if you heal this guy. And the Mishnah said that there were some strange things. Like it said, for example, on the Sabbath, you couldn't carry more than the weight of one dried fig. If you carried more than that, the Mishnah said you were violating the Sabbath law. And I've gone over many of these. They're very peculiar. But the Mishnah says you can't spit on dirt. You can spit on a rock. But on the Sabbath, if you spit on dirt, the spitball could roll and it could plow like a little furrow in the dirt and you'd be guilty of plowing. That's what the Mishnah says. The Mishnah says that a woman could not look in the mirror on the Sabbath lest she see a gray hair and then want to pluck it and she'd be guilty of harvesting on the Sabbath. (laughs) I'm not making it up. It's what the Mishnah says. And that's the kind of legalism that they were under. So they say to Jesus, you can't heal this guy. You heal this guy, you're going to be breaking the Sabbath law. You're technically working on the Sabbath. Listen to this. They loved being right more than they were about being loving. They were more about being right than they were about being loving. Love always trumps legalism. Always. There's a need here. Jesus saw it. He healed this guy. Their love for being right was more important than their right to be loving. Well, verse 15, aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was because his time had not yet come. He didn't want them to prematurely make him king. He still had to work according to the divine timetable of the Father. Verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. This is a large section of the book of Isaiah. Matthew quotes again because Matthew is Jewish. He's writing primarily to a Jewish audience. He's wanting them to see and understand that Jesus is Messiah. He's trying to connect the dots. These are some Old Testament scriptures, and Matthew quotes more Old Testament scriptures than all the other Gospels. And he wants to make sure that his Jewish readers in particular realize Jesus came and he fulfilled all of these various prophecies that were intended to point to Messiah. Verse 22, then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. That's a ridiculous statement, isn't it? That's that's illogical at the very least. Somebody's driving out demons? And you purport that the power behind the ability to drive out demons is because they are the chief of demons, Beelzebub? I mean, why why would someone do that? It's counterproductive. And Jesus picks up on this. Now, Beelzebub is a transliteration of Baal Zebub, and it literally means in the Hebrew, Lord of the Flies. And they would call it Lord of the Flies because there was this ancient belief among the Philistine people uh, that... The Lord of the Flies really can translate Lord of the Dung, but because flies were always attending to dung, it became this god that they 
enshrined, the Philistines did. In fact, a very weird story in 2 Kings chapter 1, you don't need to turn there, but uh, one of the kings of Israel, Ahaziah, fell through the lattice uh, of his palace in the upper room, and he sent messengers to inquire of the god, Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, to find out how long his recovery would be. That's kind of an odd thing that King Ahaziah did. Instead of turning to the Lord, he turned to the god Beelzebub. But anyway, here come the Pharisees. They attribute Jesus' power to Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And Jesus, it says in verse 25, please underline this, knew their thoughts. He knows our thoughts. And said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan... He is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. All right, this is one of these very uh, controversial verses uh, people will want an answer to in regards to, you know, have I committed the ultimate sin, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus says here, you can blaspheme the Son of God, but you blaspheme the Holy Spirit of God, and you will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. And there are different opinions about what this means, but let me just try to put people at ease that you you have not committed the unpardonable sin because the only way to commit the unpardonable sin is to ultimately reject Jesus. So is it possible to ultimately reject Jesus? Of course it is. And then people will not be forgiven because they have not put their faith and trust in Jesus. But if you're sitting here, you know, I believe in Jesus, but yet I think 20 years ago, I blasphemed the Holy Spirit, and now I must be going to hell. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying that you ultimately reject the ministry of the Holy Spirit because you have not believed that Jesus is the one and only Son of God who was sent for the sins of the world. So that said, um, don't be alarmed that you might have committed the ultimate blasphemy because uh, that can only happen if you ultimately reject Jesus Christ uh, as the Savior of the world, who is uh, the one uh, who forgives sins and... um, and bring salvation through faith in, in him. Well, Jesus says in verse 33, Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, you little snakes. Isn't Jesus endearing at times? How can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Isn't that the truth? Some of you have painfully become more aware of that. That you're extroverted in the way you talk, and out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks, and you wish you could take words back. Well, it's just, we say things sometimes that are out of the overflow of our heart. That's not always a good thing, is it? 
Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. Verse 35, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus places a lot of emphasis on what we say, and he speaks here about how we have to give an account for every word we've ever spoken. Now, uh, some of you, maybe based on your upbringing, because I've heard enough of this story, where uh, some of you have this vision that one day you're going to stand before Jesus. It's a day of accountability. You're going to stand before Jesus, and it's a big, it's a big LCD screen, all right? It's a big jumbotron. And, and everything you've ever done and every word you've ever spoken is, is replayed in front of Jesus and everybody. And you're just kind of standing there as everybody reviews your life, and you're just ashamed of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Here comes Gary's movie now. Oh, great. That's not what he's saying here. Look, once you receive Christ as your Savior, behold, you're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That means that when you are redeemed through faith in Christ, he no longer holds against us the trespasses and sins that he paid for on the cross. He doesn't revisit them. You know, it's not like we get up in heaven and here comes the big jumbotron and then Jesus says, well, I know you're forgiven, but let's go, just for old time's sake, let's review all the things you've said. I mean, how ridiculous is that? That would not be true forgiveness. That would not be true redemption. That would just be a shame session where everybody gets to stand. I mean, I'd love to watch yours, but I wouldn't want mine to be up there, right? And so that's not the way Jesus operates. Once we are forgiven, we are forgiven. And the Bible says that God forgets and forgives and forgets as far as the east is from the west. So far have I forgiven your sins from you. So far have I separated your sins from you. So he is the one who cleanses and forgives, gives us a new beginning. He makes all things new. We are new creations in Christ. But what he is saying here is that there is accountability, There is accountability. So we have to ask forgiveness for those things that we have wrongfully said. We have to ask him to forgive us of those things that we have said that are inappropriate and wrong and cruel and critical. And we have to make amends with people as far as it depends on us. The Bible says in Romans, live at peace with all men as far as it depends on you. So as far as it depends on us, we should make it right with people if we have wronged them with our words. Jesus says, "Don't, don't think that it goes unescaped to the ears of the Father. He hears all things and he sees all things. And so when we say things that are not right and not true and not good and not honorable and not pure, we should ask him for forgiveness, the Lord, and we should make amends with whomever we may have wronged with our words. Words are important to Jesus. He spoke the universe into creation. Words are powerful. Jesus has given us speech and language and vocabulary to communicate and to express. Sometimes they are limited Sometimes our language and our words are limited. That's why I love it the way the Bible speaks about how the Holy Spirit will intercede for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Some of you have prayed on your faces before God because you have not had the words to express your heart, and you've just poured out tears, and you've, you've just, you know, on your face before God, been speechless before Him because you've not been able to express. Words sometimes are limiting and inadequate. But that's the wonderful time that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be expressed. I don't believe that verse is a reference in that particular case to the gift of tongues because it says with words that cannot be uttered. But there are some times that just without expression, we just are crying before the Lord and, and he knows and hears our hearts cry before him. 
But words are important. We have to be careful of the things that we say. And sometimes we are negligent in what we don't say that we should say to others. So, where there's been a wrong, ask the Lord to forgive you. And where you've wronged another, as far as it depends on you, make it right. And let our words be pleasing before the Lord. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been walking us through the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. This unique perspective on Jesus' life gives you a glimpse into the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the true King above all kings. Jesus' greatest act while on earth was to give His life to pay for the sins of every person, and that includes you. If you're ready to step away from your mistakes and failures and embrace a new life, Jesus is ready for you. His grace is enough. You can come to Him no matter what your past looks like. Would you like someone to pray with you? Or do you have some more questions? We'd love to talk to you. Please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd love to meet you, too. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. We're meeting in person as well as online. And you can find all the information you need on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. There, you can also hear additional messages from the series in Matthew or others that Pastor Gary has shared. Again, that website is cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know